1: Open, uh, kind of closing closing in on the, on the finale. Uh, We're a couple hours away from Serena Williams' is, uh, either catapult into the finals. What is this? Is this finals right? This I'm, is I'm semi-finals. She's trying to catapult into the semi-finals.
2: No, this is, you know, no, this is, no, this is the, the semi-finals.
0: semifinals. This is catapult semifinals. into the finals. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, There's, there's four <laughs> remaining.
1: Okay. Yeah. Right. Anyway, so... Uh, I'm uh, here with my, my co host, uh, the great Jamal Murphy. Murphy, Again, what's happening?
0: Good to be here once again. Right. Uh, spending the last couple weeks at the U.S. Open. I know, this
1: has kind of been cool. Right?
0: Doesn't Yeah, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, people say, well, when do you take vacation?
3: I think my whole career has been vacation. Summer camp for tennis lovers. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then, of course,
1: our wonderful producer, uh, the wonderful Aaron Matthewson. Aaron, what's happening? Hello.
0: Oh, wait a minute, Jim. I have a mic.
4: Hello.
1: <laughs> and uh, this is kind of a special uh, a special edition of Bill Roden's Sport. I always, because I'm a journalist, I always enjoy having journalists on the show. Because I think nine out of ten times we're much more interesting than the people we cover. <laughs> uh, a lot, I mean, a lot of times. I know it's the last time we get a guest. <laughs> but, uh, but this week at the, at the Open, we have really three very unique uh, voices on Bill Logan and Sports, and rather than me introduce them, I'm going to have uh, uh, these three august journalists introduce themselves, one's from Chicago, uh, well, you, you, you can tell them, we're going to start right to, to my immediate, uh, to immediate right.
3: All right, Bill, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm Dwight Casimir, I'm from Chicago, and I work for the Times Media. Our publication is the Times Weekly, and we cover nine southwest suburban communities in the Chicago metropolitan area. We're the fastest-growing area of the city, and also our population has just grown by leaps and bounds, and uh, our minority population has actually exploded. About When I first moved there 20 years ago, there were less than 6% minorities, and now it's close to 30%. So, and we are also the intermodal and transportation hub of not only uh, the Chicago area, but for the entire Midwest region. Mm. So, uh, a lot of jobs, uh, a lot of commerce, they're building like crazy. And I'm really happy to be here at the U.S. Open, and also to see the minority participation uh, has grown, as you and I both talked about, Bill. We've, We've been covering this event, this and other major sporting events for years, and we can really see a depth and a breadth of a black and minority talent in the tennis industry, especially this year, right. that we've not ever seen before. And as we were having our little uh, lunch roundtable, not only the people that we've talked about who qualified and were playing, but also some of the younger people and the juniors. We're seeing just a plethora of young people coming in, and they are the next wave. right.
1: You're welcome away. Moving over uh, counterclockwise <laughs> across
2: from me. Uh, I'm Bob Green. Uh, I live in South Portland, Maine. I'm a retired journalist. I retired after 36 years with the Associated Press. And in 1980, I was named the AP Tennis writer. But since I've been retired, I, I do write a weekly column called Mondays with Bob Green that's on worldtennismagazine.com, available. And it's a wrap-up of everything that's go- around the world every week on, on what's happening, who's winning, and things like that. The um, I, I've been interested, and I always check out the juniors. I must tell you this, for years I used to work at, the Easter Bowl, and I've seen minority participation for years, and it always bothered me that so few made it here in the main draw. One, by the way, is here, and nobody knows him, and that's Rajiv Ram, whose parents are from India. Well, Rajiv is from Indiana, and I remember when he won the uh, 18s at the Easter Bowl, and now he's one of the best doubles players in the world.
1: Uh, welcome, Bob. Thank you. And uh, uh, I've got to ask you, about. How, how many opens is
2: this for you? This is my 40th consecutive open wow. and my last.
1: Wow. Really? really?
2: My last. Uh, I just, you know, I'm tired of just spending two weeks in New York every year when I could be. This is the best time of the year in Maine. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, to, do, to do what? we well, we'll what to do? What? Fishing
2: or no? Well, eat, eat clam chowder. You know? <laughs> that that's it. Eat, and, you know. Lobster. Uh, there's some good lobster and nice fish and delightful wines to taste and try to decide which is the best and. Yeah, and I'm eighth generation from my county. We've been really? there since the 1700s. Wow.
1: So you were born in
2: Maine? I was born in Maine, yes. My mother was born there, and my grandmother, and a whole lot of other folk.
0: Wow.
1: Wow. You get a We'll get back Well,
0: my sister went to Bates, so, I, so I've been up to Maine a couple times.
1: Yep. I've never been to Maine, but we will, we will, I tell we we'll change that. And okay. We'll probably, probably not in, yeah, we'll do, we'll do a podcast for Maine. I'll, I'll but why not, not? <laughs> but not? But not in the winter. Really? Not in
4: the wintertime, no. All right, so, moving around. So, my name is Primrose Headley, and I am not going to fancy myself a journalist since I'm sitting at a table with Bob and Dwight and the great legend uh, Bill Roden, so... I'm not calling myself a journalist at all. I, I, I am a part of the production of tennis, and I've this will be about my 15th or 16th year's Open. I've also done the French Open, Wimbledon. So I'm involved in tennis on the production side, and I'm, I fancy myself probably a tennis fanatic. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to put myself in that category, a tennis fanatic. I am a stats person. I started out in the stats at CBS Sports. I was in the research department, so my job was always to find that unique piece of information that nobody knows or right. so we could tell the audience. So that gave me the interest in tennis, and I fell in love with tennis. And we started, CBS had the U.S. Open for many years, and I covered it. I was the research person that came out and did U.S. Open, because I worked with a bunch of guys, by the way, and they always say, oh, tennis is not really a sport, so let the girl go and cover the U.S. Open, so that's how I fell in love with tennis, mm. and I I was very fortunate to be in the era of Venus and Serena, so that made the love even bigger, so I was fortunate to be here to see pretty much every single one of their wins, all of Venus's win, all of Serena's wins. so... I'm kind of a fanatic when it comes to tennis. Of course, uh, Bill and I will have a discussion about this later. You know, my favorite player is Nadal, who I think is going to be the GOAT, but Bill thinks it's Federa. Well, uh... well, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill, for having me. I'm absolutely.
1: Welcome to the show. We're getting. Grateful to be here. But. I don't mind you saying, and I think, I'm not sure if Dwight, if you were there when we had a discussion. Yeah, Dwight's yeah. there, yeah. So I don't sure. mind you saying that you enjoy Nadal. I mean, some people like Willie Mays and stuff. But if, when you said that he was the greatest of all time, the that's goat. when I had issue. The goat, Bill, the goat. Because I, I think our first conversation, you said that. I said, well, if he's the greatest, what does that make, uh, what does that make
4: Federer? Goat he, number 1B. <laughs> so Nadal, Goat 1A, so, so, Federer, so
0: Goat 1B. Yeah he, yeah. yeah, he
4: will be. Yeah, he will be. When it's all said well, and done, well, he
3: will. I, but you know, I think I think the essential difference, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Nadal brings a flavor to yes. tennis. That I thing, mean, you know. You know, he's, right. he's got that thing. You know, he wants he's to like to pick a, a fight, He's like a like movie star when he
4: gets on the right? court. Federer
3: is a Swiss banker. Yeah, okay. Swiss he's banker. very precise. He's he's a Swiss knife but, with a tennis but racket. But Federer probably the most
0: loved. Mm, I, well,
3: you, you could see that the Nadal crowd that was here. I was here. Right. The love is, is unbelievable.
0: And who and, and Nadal? How many French Open titles does he have? Twelve. Twelve. Right. So everything else is how many?
4: <laughs> yeah. Seven. Seven. <laughs> Thirteen. Six. Very funny, Bill. <laughs> no, Listen, but, the guy is one on every surface. Yes. He he's got an Australian yeah. Open. He's got a bunch of U.S. Okay, okay. Opens. Okay, he's, let's got let's some, let's he's got some. He's got some versatility. Let's go, right. Let's right. go to the four majors.
1: Uh huh. Okay, Australia. How many
4: One Nadal, Nadal has. How many does Federer have? Five. <laughs> okay. French Open. One Federer, 12 Nadal. 12 Nadal. One okay. uh, um, more. Uh, six Federer, two Nadal. No, three Nadal. Yeah. Six. So six to U.S. Opens. Uh, Five Federer, three Nadal.
1: So I, I'm not a mathematician, but it seems like when we add all this up, Federer comes up in terms of majors.
0: Except for the French. Except for the French One the French, French like, real Bill, one,
4: one. It's not a real surface. It's not a real surface. Who plays on red It's the hardest surface to play on, Bill.
0: He grew up on that, though. Yeah, I
1: mean, that's what he's, I mean, come on. Wait hey,
4: a listen. I, don't I love them both, that, by that. the way. Let me let your audience know. Yeah. I worship at the feet of Federer and Adel. But what I about, love them both. I just love the contrasting style. Right.
0: What about Djokovic, if he gets up, if he, you know, he he has more years to go? And he can, he can his title-wise, well, he's not far behind. Well,
4: his shoulder seems to those, be... Those shoulder injuries are haunting him. him.
3: Mm-hmm. Those um, shoulder uh, injuries are haunting him. Last two and as you recall, when he was you. talking in the interview room, he was talking about how the doctors had everything under control, right. and then you saw what happened right. two days it it later. Match, he yeah. couldn't yeah. make it through the match. That's true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Let me ask you, let me start with, with, with Bob. Um, what's been, you know, there's been a lot going on. It, right now, what's your your big takeaway as of today at the U.S. Open. I mean, what sort of has been the the big story uh, when you filter through your prism of having covered for you? What's the big story? What was the big story, or to this point, has been the big story of the U.S. Open?
2: Well, if you stop to think about it, we have some of the greatest players that ever playing right now on both men and women, and they have dominated the sport. And they're getting older and older and older. And I think the only reason that they continue to play is because they love the sport, especially true with I think with Federer. I don't don't get me wrong, I, I think he wants to win every time he steps on a court, but I don't think victories are really his motivation now. It's just that he enjoys the sport, enjoys being out there. I don't know about Jokovic, but Definitely, I think Serena and Venus are in that position too. They talked, remember when they first came up, they talked about by 30, they would be gone. And now they're looking at 40. Right.
3: <laughs> so, so. yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm really heartened to hear you say that because my feeling the other night um, before I came to the, the Federer match was I really thought it was time for Federer to move aside and let someone else enjoy the fame and the fortune that he has enjoyed.
2: No, not as long as he enjoys being there, enjoys uh, fighting all the time, um, enjoys training, enjoys the travel. He, of course, he takes his family with them everywhere they go.
3: So. Um, and that's that was the part I liked, that it, it humanized him to oh, me
2: yeah. when he yeah. talked about his family. You, you know, i got to tell you this one story about Federer since we brought him up. Um, this was in Shanghai at the year-ending tournament, which they've called different things at different times. I think it was called the Tennis Masters you know, when it was in, in China. But... Um, I got ready to go to come back to New York. I was living in New York then. and So I came, got ready to go, and I'm out to the Shanghai airport. And Federer, I see Federer and his, uh, and his wife and kids get out of the car and start to head into the terminal. And two elderly women stopped him. And he stood there and chatted with them and signed autographs and took whatever time these women wanted. And it just amazed me because I've seen too many over the years, I've seen too many players rush by people once they're off the court and through with what they have to do. And uh, it, it really made me feel even better about the uh, way he handled it.
4: I want to piggyback on what Bob just said. Um, I remember Serena and Venus did say after 30 they're done. But you'll be shocked. The love of the game is what keeps Federer, Nadal, Venus, and Serena still playing. Mm -hmm. Because people come up to me all the time like, you know these girls. Why are they still playing? I mean, Serena, she has nothing to prove. But when you talk to her, if she can still get up and practice, take her family with her to a tournament, She's got everything she needs. She's got a family. She's got a game that she loves, and she's very good at. It. Same thing with Federer. Federer's not quite ready to be done. You were saying maybe he should step aside. Yeah, but even though he lost, Federer still's got a beautiful game. But <laughs> drink <laughs> can still play. You know, Same thing I, with Venus. She gets yeah, to
1: play. And I want to bring, I mean, there's something, and I, I'm glad you mentioned it, Dwight. Uh, I, I don't want to say who said it. Dwight said Federer should retire. <laughs> yeah, let's just
4: clarify. Dwight said
1: Dwight Casimir said it.
4: But but, but I think we were talking about... He's going to send his henchman after me.
1: Oh, yeah. uh, but, I'm going to send mine. <laughs> but uh, remember we were having a conversation yesterday, and after Venus lost, there were some people on social media that said, well, maybe mm-hmm. Venus should retire. And, of course, we saw in the NFL... You know, when uh, when Andrew Luck mm-hmm. stepped away, there were people who booed him, and so that's a very, to me, that's a very tricky thing about when when should somebody step away? I mean, my thing is, the, should the game simply determine when you step away? In other words, when you don't get paid anymore, is that when you step away? Uh, but I was curious to, to to develop that more about, you know, you were saying a graceful thing for um, Federer would be to, to step aside. And let people come up. And I guess in sports, you say, "Well, take it." Number one, take it. I'm not giving you anything. Take it. But but develop that. I mean, why you why you think that, you know, it would be gracious of him to to step back?
3: You know, I just think there are some newer people, some younger people, that can take that stage and begin to fill it. And for the good of the sport, you need to allow that to happen because they're going to grow, make their own mistakes. I mean, playing on a big stage like the U.S. Open is overwhelming. When we looked at, at Taylor, uh, when we looked at Taylor the other day, I thought she literally at some point was overwhelmed by the situation. She was playing well in that second set, and then suddenly, when she came back, she froze. I mean, you have to have that experience of playing on this stage in order to make it, and in order to do that, some of these people then they just need to stand aside.
4: All right, all right, Dwight, so my argument to you is there are these young guns. Every tournament I've done, I'm just going to use this year. Every tournament I've done this year, the argument is, oh, yes, one of the young guys are going to take it this year. It's going to be team. It's going to be Zerv, It's going to be Tetsabas. And I'm still waiting for one of the young guns to win. So my argument about you saying Federer should step aside is they need to come on the court and take it from Federer.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: He's got a game.
0: Right, and it's, and it's not like it's not like you know Federer's getting to quarterfinals and semifinals and yeah. finals. So it's not like I mean, what he because he's not winning championships. I mean, he's still one of the top players in the world. And then the same thing with Venus. That's what we talked about. I mean, she still wins. She's still capable of winning any match, really. And uh, it's not like she's getting bounced out in the first round well, well, or anything like that. What do you like think today?
4: I, like, I saw some things. She's sitting courtside watching her sister and supporting yeah, her but, sister. And if her I sister needs some, a good hit, she gets I saw hit. some she things in that last
3: match, match that I found found troubling. I saw her grimacing. Right. I thought she was in a lot of pain. She's, I, I, she's 38. It was 38. Yeah, and it, it was painful to watch, frankly.
2: Well, no. not really, because if you stop to think, she is one of these people, like I said, that enjoys being here. Mm-hmm. And... Andrew Luck said that he was tired of hurting while playing. He plays a team sport. I can understand people being kind of forced out of team sports if they're not if they're not up to par. Yeah, losing a step. But this
1: is an individual sport, and tennis <laughs> and, and, the, and the team will make that decision. That's yeah. right, and yeah, they'll make it for you. Right, don't right, you don't have to wait. For-
2: <laughs> tennis has a ranking system that. Eventually, you can't play the U.S. Open Correct. because your rank is so low.
4: And Venus is not there yet. And just remember, when you watch a Venus match, she gets the most adoration and praise that you will ever imagine. And her matches are full. Yeah. So she's still a draw. Right. First or second round, she's still a draw.
1: Uh, our, our quintet has expanded to a septet <laughs> uh, I want to I introduce uh, my former colleague at the New York Times uh, the great George Vesey uh, star of stage and screen uh, I think that uh, George just celebrated a big birthday he can tell you whether or not he wants to tell you the number but George has covered a lot of, uh, a lot of tennis, a lot of folks so, so George, hello, welcome to the show but I also want you to weigh in on this whole thing of who should retire and when
5: well, I appreciate the argument that the sport will tell you when to retire. Anybody's got a right to walk away. I mean, think about the people who walked away when they're younger. Football's a different beast. I mean, uh, I, I covered guys. This is this is going to be uh, a little gross, but I've covered guys that shot themselves in the chest. Dave Dewerson, for example, a great guy. Because he knew what was happening to his brain, he wanted to preserve it. For you know, that's what football does. And Andrew Luck had read the tea leaves and said, before that really happens to me, and maybe it's happening already. He, he only he knows. I give him the right to walk away in the middle of a game and say I don't want to play this anymore. He he, owe, he owes nothing. You can give some of the money back if he wants to. I mean, that's another story. But I don't think I don't think football players owe anything to the game or the team because the the game was taking their brains.
1: What what, what about Venus? Uh, in the, uh, what? You know, tennis player. You know, should, should should the tennis player voluntarily walk away?
5: Voluntarily, if they if voluntarily, sure. But to, to take the pressure, why why are you out here beating nice young girls in the in the quarterfinals or something when when they, when you could be giving them a chance? No, I say, I. If you like it, if you like the life, I wonder about both of them. I wonder about Venus, and I wonder about Serena. What's in it for them? But what's in it for them is what they've been doing since they were little c- girls. The and, the and they love the game. They're gated to it. Uh, the, you know, the, how can I say this? The New York Times had to, had to tell me, would you, li- would you like a buyout? And, uh, you know, they, did, they didn't use the number game or anything. But the point was, you know, sometimes they give you subtle hints like, how would you like a buyout?
4: <laughs> remember for Venus, we're talking about an ambassador of this sport that she fought for equal prize money. I think she has the right to stay as long as she likes. She supports the younger kids coming up. When you watch a Venus match, there's no seat in the house. I try to get in as like a media section. There's no seats because everybody still wants to see her play. And there are days where she's good. And, yeah, there are going to be days when she's back because she's 38. Just like Federer, the great Federer. Days when he's great but there are going to be days when the body just creaks a little bit because he's not young anymore. And so how you'd many, have to watch him. And, and
1: how many, you know, if you, if you listen to a lot of the young kids, I mean, how many times has, have, have kids referenced Venus and Serena yes, they're heroes. as why they're here? So it's almost like you keep them around just because they've been yes, a, they,
4: a maximum.
3: It's not just black and minority kids. I mean, yeah, I've talked not. to some of the people out the here. Canadian that's playing
4: in the semis. Right. Serena is her hero. Yeah, and Drescu. she's like, "Yo, Serena, you're my hero." But, That's but I'm again, playing. it's right.
2: nothing to do with heroes. It has to do with whether they want to play. And to be honest about it, you're looking at Serena, who's been in the finals of the last two or three uh, right. Grand Slam terms, hasn't won. But. Uh, 126 others would like to have been in her spot. That's correct.
4: <laughs> she's a, she's on final Sunday and Saturday every day, every
0: tournament. Yeah, and I, if, and I don't think think this conversation applies to Serena because, because you know she's been, <laughs> she's the, most, the, she's she's been the most she's been the most consistent lady. woman on in Grand Slams even this year, even though she hasn't won one, she's been in the final what, right. what three. three times or yeah. two well, or two, three. probably two well, because there's only been three to this date. So I don't even think Serena's in this conversation but also you know someone touched on it before this is what they do you know their whole life like you know even before you know us as professionals and whatever whatever we do they were doing it at you know from age what seven you know five six so this is all in in a greater sense all they know so it's even harder uh, for them to hang it up, I would assume. you yeah, imagine
1: imagine, I think we talked about this yesterday, I mean, the whole idea, I mean, George, you, talk, you know, you talked about, you know, the writer and the buyout. Well, you know, I mean, as long as we could kind of put sentences together, you know, a musician can play, or, or writers can write, or painters can paint, you can do that necessarily forever, and particularly in this area of j- internet, and start, you could just create your own, you could do what we're doing, we're doing a podcast, <laughs> you, know, you know, hey, let's get together and do a podcast, and put it out there, but you know, the athlete has a finite, thing. either somebody's going to stop paying you, or, like you said, you know, I remember, you, you. I think you were talking about, it's painful to watch Venus. Man, I mean, I remember Ali, and I'm sure, George, you remember Ali, and a lot of people say, oh, man, this is oh. like just... I, I covered his last fight. Some of those uh-huh.
3: fights. Uh, when the, the HBO film uh, showed some of those old fights from the early 70s, mm-hmm. I was there, and he was just getting pummeled. And you, when you look, I, I know Rashida. Is, I, I know his wife because she was my neighbor in Miami. And we talked about some of the, you know, he got hit a lot. He talked about, yeah. you know, my pretty face and all that stuff. But he got pummeled a lot. He just didn't show it. But some of that may have added to the the condition. That the, par- he,
5: the Parkinson's? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, the fight that he, to, that he took hits in, the, the fight that he think maybe a draw or a loss in las vegas that was just awful oh, was and then horrible. his last fight which i covered down in the bahamas uh with trevor burbick what yeah what used to be formally and uh and he was just beaten up and they gave him a draw out
3: of it but uh in today's world those fights would not have been no allowed way, to not. go that yeah. long it yeah. just wouldn't have happened but You're again
2: like- that's a different sport i i to go back to tennis I have to remember what Roger Federer said this this fortnight. He said that he would rather be here too long than stop and then wonder could I have continued. And and That's I give right. the guy credit for what he has done. Hey, anybody in this sport especially with the rankings, as long as you do what you want to do and you do it successfully enough to continue playing, then why not?
1: And you know the thing is, I remember somebody told Brett Favre when he was talking about retiring. His agent told, make sure that you know because you are, there's nothing you're going to do after this point that's going to give you the charge <laughs> yeah. that you've been given. No sixty thousand people week after week. So make sure if if you if you step away, make sure that you're sure that this is what you want to do because this is it in terms of the thrill you're going to get. So I think when you talk luck. I'm wondering how many, how, how many weeks go by when he starts missing that roar of the crowd. And, no, <laughs> and you know, no. uh, you walk into the supermarket or you, and nobody's cheering. I mean, you know, how, how long does that, you know, uh, Andrew, could you take out the, you know, he just got married.
4: He just take got out married. The trash,
1: please. Hey, uh, Andrew, could you take out the trash, please?
2: <laughs> yeah, but also the same, how long is, is the pain going to be there for him? And, and that's, again, we're talking two different, we're talking apples and oranges here. To a large degree, right. and that doesn't mean that tennis players don't get hurt. They don't get they get hurt a different way with knees and ankles and other things, shoulders that go. And that doesn't mean that Novak Djokovic's soda doesn't hurt him every day. But that's a decision that he makes. Andrew Young, uh, Andrew Luck made the decision because the pain in his head or wherever the pain was was just too much every day
4: and he was looking at like 360 pounds linemen waiting to smack him around for the next 16 games plus playoffs you know tennis players don't get hit so i think their lifespan is a little bit different in terms of the sport that they're in
0: today's podcast is brought to you by audible audible has over 180,000 book titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. For you, the listeners of the Bill Roden on Sports podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. We highly recommend that you check out the classic $40 Million Slaves, The Rise, Fall, and Redemption of the Black Athlete by the one and only William C. Roden and Absolute Must Read. To download your free audiobook today, go to Audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on sports. Again, that's Audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on Sports for your free audiobook.
1: Let's uh, I just want to switch that we've we we talked about people being asked to retire. Now let's let's switch. We haven't mentioned Coco Golf, which is a record. We've gone 20 minutes <laughs> and have not mentioned Coco Golf. Now some people are saying, well, she's too young. So Maybe she's too young to compete. So we get this spectrum of some people too old, but now we all, Coco, well, she's too young. So I'm like, well, what is it? But let's, I, I'd like to get everybody's uh, opinion. I mean, George, you, you've seen, maybe we we'll just go around, you, you've seen a lot of of, uh, of, of burnouts. I, I, well, I, let me not put that out there, but you've seen a lot of young phenoms. What do you think of Coco? I'd like to get everybody's take on Coco. Well, there are certainly players who came along young. I mean, Martina Hingis, you know,
5: had a lot, a lot going for her young and had a rocky middle career and it didn't last long. Tracy Austin, same thing. She'd wear those oversized pinafores that her mother gave her so she would look like she was 10 uh, going out there. And then she whipped Chris or Martina uh, because she had the strokes. But all you need is one injury and then it's over. So if, if, a, if, a, if a 14-year-old, 15-year-old is good enough to play, as long as she and let's say she is supervised and that's the important thing is to make sure that The rest of the lifestyle doesn't catch up with you to let her play you know physically we all know women develop earlier their their heads and their bodies develop earlier and they're able to they're able to compete
3: i want to jump in early because uh, i want to dovetail what you're saying and one of the things that impressed me about coco golf is her groundedness which a lot of it comes from her parents and her maturity even at such a young age she seems to have a mental focus and a clarity that far exceeds her years. And uh, one of the things uh, Martina mentioned in one of her commentaries uh, on the Tennis Channel was that so much of the game is not only physical, but it's psychological as well. And if you can get that kind of psychological depth and grounding, that you are guaranteed more of a lasting career than someone that can be strictly buffeted by their physical capabilities. You have to kind of look beyond that and look deep inside you. And I think COCO already has that capability.
2: I, I have problems uh, with that rule, the WTA rule. Uh, it was put in for one or two exceptions. And that's what I didn't like about it. Uh, to me, it's a, it's the same thing with a lot of things. If somebody can do something, let them do it. Uh, we don't you know, it's strange we talk about the exceptions. We don't talk about Steffi Graf, who turned pro when she was 13. We don't talk about uh, Arancha Sanchez Becario, who was 13, 14, when she turned pro and was traveling the world. We don't talk about we don't talk about the ones that started young and made it. We only talk about the one or two who had problems, and they would have had problems whether they were playing tennis or not.
4: Yeah, um, I was thinking of Capriati, and uh, the main reason for that rule was kind of because of her and Hingis. You know, They started quite young, but something Dwight talked about was your family structure and the team around you. I'm quite confident in Coco and the team around her. She's got an amazing team around her, and she is wise beyond her years. I spoke to her at Wimbledon. I've spoken to her here. And I think the rule helps. But guess what? Like uh, Bob says, most of those players that had problems when they're young, even if there was no WTA rule, they probably would have still had those problems because you've got to have that foundation around you. And Coco definitely has it. She's got the talent. She's going to grow into her body. She's going to mature. Her game's going to get bigger. She reminds me of a young Venus. She's The forehand looks the same. The serve looks the same. She struts around the court just like Venus did when she was younger.
3: I'm glad you brought that yeah. up because there was um, a shot of Coco and Venus coming out. And uh, Coco hugged her father. And I thought they Flashback. were doing a split screen. ...of Venus Today and Venus Yesterday. I thought it was a screen. Amazing,
4: yes. Yeah. So I'm quite confident because if you watch Coco's path to where she is now, it's very similar to Richard and his kids, and the family talks about it. And they've surrounded themselves, you know, Patrick, Serena's coach... Their camp is a part of her camp. I think she's going to be fine. She could have done without the rules because she's got the foundation around her. And let me tell you, she, Venus and Serena are heroes. She wants to be like them. She wants to win like them. And she's got the game. I'm, I'm good with, with Coco. I'm good with Taylor Towson. I was so happy for her. Talk about a story. I covered her as a junior. Well, you know, I, she, she I covered from her, Chicago and know, let me tell you, I love her, her game. Yeah. Serving volley—that's why she beats these kids because they're not used to playing serving and volley. And I blame their coaches. They need to go find somebody to practice with them serving volley. Because sure. Hallett didn't know what to do because she never practiced anybody with serving volley. I love her game. I wish most of the kids would play like her. So the future is good with these young players and I'm liking what I'm seeing. I think the future of women's tennis, I'm not so sure about the men's just yet, is in good hands.
1: Let's, let's, uh, let's talk about the men. I mean, that's always been the thing. I mean, it seems for the sake of argument, there's a very rich pool of talent of women, American women in particular. Yeah. What's the deal with the men? I mean, what's the deal with the men? Is it? They're, 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 I'm sure everybody's got a take on that, but in fact, we were talking to um, Chris Whitmer yesterday. He said, well, I'd like to say that there's a cycle, but he said, I'm not so sure this is a cycle. I think this
4: may be where it is. What's,
1: what's the deal with the men,
4: particularly black men? Really quick uh, before Dwight Johnson here. American men's tennis has been on a downward spiral since Roddick. I mean, you realize Rod- we talked about it. Roddick's our last Grand Slam U.S. men's champion in... We have nothing. Women's game, I'm quite confident in good hands, but on the men's side, I got to do some research on this. <laughs> but I'm not seeing anything that I'm saying, oh, yeah, this is the one. I'm not seeing it. Sorry, do I? Go ahead.
3: Okay. Well, I'm going to open a can of worms. Nobody seems to want to address the 800 pound gorilla in the room. We do not sponsor are amateur slash solo athletes the way they do in other
4: countries the French does it Wimbledon LTA does it Australian tennis does it like nobody's business and USTA uh, they need they need to listen to this podcast they need to do a better job because the French kids they have no concern right English players LTA they have no concern Australia forget it they have no concern but we don't do it in this country
0: well explain that when you say that we don't sponsor, we don't sponsor the players
4: the way they do the,
3: the culture, the government, everybody in these countries that she mentioned steps in and nurtures and supports these families and these players. We don't have that kind of structure here. And when we talked about the, you know, I, I covered the uh, the Olympics. I went to the training camps there. That was the biggest complaint. They're always begging for money. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's pathetic how we treat our young athletes. Now, you know, we're all over them when they get big and make the endorsements and all that stuff. But when they're developing, we, they get short shrift.
0: Well, well, what about the athletes uh, being, you know, coveted by other sports? Or, you know, they're looking at basketball or football. Uh, that You know, male athletes have so many other options compared to Female athletes in this country, and you've hit it on the. Well, you know that's it's a blessing and a curse,
3: because yeah, if you're six foot eight and beyond, you have a career in basketball. If you're fast and light on your feet and uh, can take a lot of punishment, you make it in football. Right. But if you're some uh, skinny kid who can hit a tennis ball, I'm sorry, there's nobody there for you.
2: Right. Well, the the thing about it is is we have in this country. A number of sports that you can make money at, and I'm speaking about basketball, baseball, football, soccer, soccer, uh, hockey, and it goes on and on. You go around the world, and most of them have one sport: soccer, or tennis. Tennis is their second sport. Cricket. We don't have that. Tennis is, like, way down in the United States. It's like 10. But you know something? I've covered juniors over the years, and we have always had players of color in the juniors that do pretty well, maybe not win everything, except I've seen some kids that won the Easter Bowl 14 boys, uh, I remember when Shonda Rubin was playing and she finally made it in the pros and got to the top 10 but for some reason what happens with the boys is either they seem to me they seem to be rushed too fast or they they just quit they'll they don't they do not uh, come through and I don't know why
4: right, I'll give you a quick story I um... Serena's hitting partner, the Jenkins... Did you guys know the Jenkins brothers?
2: I did, yes. Um,
4: They uh, were amazing college tennis players. And the reason they didn't go pro is they couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. One was quite good. Uh, One played at Virginia and one played at Northwestern. And they wanted to go pro. They just financially could not afford to go pro. And this is what Dwight and I are talking about. If they were in Australia or England or or France or Paris or London, any of those other places... Their union or country would support them. So these boys, again, because the attention is not put on tennis, you know, it's basketball, it's football, it's everything else but tennis, like Dwight says is like number 10, they didn't get the support. Luckily, they were very good at what they did, and they decided to go into coaching. And, you know, one day, they one of them became the hitting partner for Serena. One became Venus' Venus's hitting, hitting partner, and now they're into coaching. One's coaching Naomi, and one's still oh. hitting with v, um, Serena. Now, these boys are good. I've actually watched them when they're warming up Venus and Serena, and I'm like, these guys could actually win a slam. They are amazing. But they never had the support once they got to the college level and wanting to turn pro. They just couldn't afford it. So, 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 so what's the
1: difference between the let's, – let's look at two tracks. In fact, I had this conversation with the, uh, this artist. Uh, I can't remember his name, but we are at the Met, and we had this conversation I would say, okay, let's take the Chicagos. We're all from Chicago. The 15-year-old, a 15-year-old black young man who's got tremendous uh, um, potential as an artist and the 15-year-old young black man who's got potential, great potential as an athlete. Now, who is more valuable to United States culture? In other words, who is going to... And fan, why is that? And I'm just—I want to throw in it because that's kind of what we're talking about here. The 15-year-old black tennis player may not be as valuable as a 15-year-old, six-foot-seven basketball player who is covered by the high school, the AAU program, Duke. <laughs> in other words, there's a whole chain of people who say, "Well, we can't do what you do." Now we got a lot of kids who can do the, what the tennis player does. We got a lot of white kids who can do that. We got, we got a lot of white kids who can do the art thing. We got we we got art covered, but we don't. What you're doing, we haven't quite got that. So what, what do y'all think about that?
3: Well, stereotype. Yep. One word.
1: Let George
2: answer that.
5: Well, it's one of the reasons why I don't beat up Major League Baseball for not having more African American players because athletes are going to so many other sports they have opportunities to play and they're from some some of it's the same thing i look at it's a big country and it's very hard to get athletes into a system where you need to be taught the sport and brought along uh i'll talk about soccer a little bit of sport i know a bit about in germany they were losing their players 15 20 years ago and they went into a more regional system because even Germany is a big country and it's regional, and they were getting plays so they wouldn't have to live all in Berlin or all in Frankfurt. They could operate in Bavaria, they could operate up north, and they could be taught by really good pros and then fit into the national system. They came back on it. So you have to know, you have to recognize in the United States, and I think this applies particularly to tennis, that with all the balkanization of these in the clubs and the locals and who who may not even be qualified to teach. There's not necessarily... I mean, the idea of having a national tennis center down in Orlando is great and all of that, I suppose. But the idea is it's such a big country that you... Unless you want to take somebody away and make them live in a uh, you know, kind of a uh, IGM place that they have in Bradenton or whatever, (coughs) you're not going to get the best players. And finally, why do great athletes go into basketball and... Football. I often say they start earlier in the school year. Uh, cheerleaders. You know, attention, <laughs> money, college scholarships, AAU. I mean, you tell that to a young a young fellow who's 15 and he can, or 12 and can really play schoolyard basketball, and say, well, there's this tennis program. Takes a strong right. final example. Basketball. Demarcus Beasley, five foot nine, brother from Fort Wayne, could dunk. At five, nine. They said, DeMarcus, why are you playing uh, soccer? It's a white man's sport. And DeMarcus said, I'm 5'9". He played in four World Cups. Wonderful. Left back. That's a good score. But the point was, he was strong enough to withstand social pressure to play a weenie white sport and be good at it. And finally, they saw DeMarcus in the World Cup, and they said, look at that. But it takes a strong personality to do that.
3: I was telling Bill a story over dinner yesterday that I went out for high school football, not because I was a good player, but I wanted to get those letters on my sweater so I could get the girls. <laughs>
4: now we see where your head's at. Right? Uh, that
0: explains everything.
4: Yeah, now, now we get a sense of what's going on here.
0: They, they have...
2: They have... Uh, in coming up, you find a lot of kids do things. I remember uh, here one year... Uh, talking to a kid that was coming out to play juniors, and he was a New York kid from one of the minority groups, I believe Latino. And I believe that I remember him talking about he almost had to sneak his rackets out, past out of his neighborhood right. because other kids would make fun of him. And he, he didn't make it, but at least he tried. And, and when you start looking at the players, even the McEnroes, uh, that come out of New York City, and there used to be some, quite a few came out of here. Mary Carrillo is another one. And you, you look at these people, and they were already in a system as youngsters, That's right. or they were in a community that recognized tennis. Uh, coming out of where the where probably might have the best athletes out of New York City, you're in areas where basketball, football, not even soccer usually. <laughs> I mean, these are the it, it, those are the sports. You don't have even play baseball anymore in New right. York. So but it,
0: it also goes to to role models. Uh, the the women's sport we see what Serena and Venus have done for the sport. So people see that it becomes cool. Uh, So, you know, if one guy were to break out in men's tennis to to the level where he's a superstar, it could change a lot because all of a sudden it becomes cool and that peer pressure is a different story.
1: Let me ask you, I I want to reintroduce everybody. Uh, um, We've got uh, Primrose Headley, Dwight Casimir, Bob Green, George Vesey. Uh, you know, of course, Jamal and Aaron myself. Uh, before we kind of wrap this up, um, I, I want to get back to what I asked about the artist and the athlete, the young black artist who's 15 years old with a lot of talent and the young black athlete who's 15 years old. Who has more value to mainstream slash white society? And how does that value, how will that value escalate their path through the system? Is that apples and oranges or, or is there something, is there a cultural uh, imperative there that leans toward black muscle and not necessarily black artistic potential or acumen?
4: I would think uh, the athlete, because uh, right away agents think, oh, I can make money on this person. This person can get me somewhere. So, I'm th- And the families as well thinking, yeah, my kid can get us out of this situation, so I'm leaning towards the athlete. And I don't think it's apples to orange. I think it's a great, great similarity that you brought up.
3: You know, I agree with you. I, I think there's a lot of similarities there, but I'm also seeing a trend here that's really dangerous, and all of us need to act on it. As is they're really decimating a lot of the programs that we've had a pathway to success in and they're being decimated now in all of these public education
4: That programs. is correct, Dwight.
3: I mean, it's really sad. A lot of the supports that were there, you know, we talked about um, Serena and Venus playing in Compton on, uh, on the public court and in the schoolyard court. Well, a lot of those things have been taken uh, away yeah, now. Yeah, they've
4: been taken away. And this is where I challenge the USTA. You've got an amazing facility that you've built in, Flo- in Florida. I've seen it. And also IMG's got an amazing academy. I say, why not go to these different cities and recruit? Come to New York and recruit. Go to Harlem and recruit. Go to Chicago and recruit. They're talented kids, black kids, white kids in certain they're in similar surroundings. You give them a tennis racket and an opportunity, they could be as good as the next person. And Venus and Serena will tell you. But that's the whole point. They're glad to inspire these kids. Is
1: that what, when I say they, but is that what the white rulings, is that what they really want? I mean, I always say in soccer, in soccer, if they really wanted to, but right in, in the United States, the soccer is a upper, is a is a middle, upper middle class, predominantly white sport. It's not like that in the rest of the world. And my thing is that they don't necessarily want soccer to look like the NBA or the NFL. And my same thing is soccer. we I mean, tennis, we can say all this. Thing, golf, but yeah. is that what they, do they really want soccer, I mean, tennis to look like uh like what I'm saying, like, like,
4: Bill, the, you know the, the, the answer the to this. You the, You're the question, but you know the answer to this well, no. I let's discuss. I
1: no.
2: disagree. I think that they don't mind. But
4: these are May. Yeah, these are Come on.
2: <laughs> I, I, but at the same time, I don't think that they have problems with a Serena Williams winning everything, or a Venus, or an Arthur Ashe, or an. Uh, and Althea Gibson, thank God that they finally this year
4: Gave her her just
2: due But the thing is, is you've got to be a winner You can't be in third or fourth place and that's the problem because you usually, for the most part you don't get champions uh, unless you have a lot of people uh, running from 10th to 20th in the the whole bit So that's the hard thing by the way, I want to get back to the apples and oranges. <laughs> um, you forget one thing, money. A good artist, regardless of color, can sell things and make money. I don't care their age. With an athlete, thanks to the NCAA, uh, you, you're not allowed to be paid anything. Um, one of the beautiful things about the rest of the world, I, I will say, is they go on age. You're 18, you're considered, uh, uh, well, around the world, 18, they, they play up to 18s, in some cases 21. And they're allowed to play those regardless of how much money they make. In America, if you take a up a, doll, a dollar, you're, an, you're a pro, and you're not allowed to participate, not allowed to play in the smaller groups. And that, to me, is a bad thing, because I think that's where you lose a lot of people. You talk about these great black athletes coming out of the various inner cities and other places, and they have to starve until they come out of college, to the, for the most part. And so that's... And, and with tennis... Until you get to the place where you're actually making money to to pay all of your bills, it's hard, and so I can understand why uh, a lot of blacks don't make it even even if they're good in this sport.
1: So let's let's end on that. We're not going to solve this problem that problem, yes. But I just wanted to throw it out there. But Serena's playing later on this podcast. I mean, I think Jamal Murphy will get this up probably after the match, but soon, right? But Let's, let's go around, will, is, will Serena be playing uh, in the finals? Do you think Serena Williams will be playing uh, in the finals? Let's start with Dwight and go around the horn and let's make some predictions.
3: Okay, I'll probably get run out of this facility, but I see some things in uh, Svetlana, Andreescu, I see some things in there that if, the match goes beyond two sets they will win one of them will win okay.
2: That's I'm going I'm to pick Serena uh, why not I mean <laughs> she's 123 so why not and this is her favorite surface in front of her I think her favorite fans
4: um, preaching to the choir here you know I'm picking Serena But since I'm actually, this is my job, I will break it down really quickly before I uh, let Jamal and our esteemed colleague there jump in. I like Spitalina's game. Dwight and I talked a little bit about this, but we describe Serena's game as she takes the racket out of your hands, meaning it's all up to Serena. If Serena comes out in a serve, which first and second is good, that's the good thing Serena's got going for her. Second serve is better than most people, even on the men's side. Her second serve is better than most people's first serve. So if Serena serves the way she did in the last two rounds, move around the way she did in the last two rounds, and the ankles are fine because she's got a little ankle issue, Serena will win. It, it's always up to Serena. I hate doing this to the other women in, in on the WTA, but Serena usually beats Serena because Serena will take the racket out of your hands, and if she does the one-two, serve, return, matches pretty much Serena's to win so I like Svitalina's game she's solid she's a backboard she's going to be hitting she's going to try to get everything back but I'm going to tell Serena if I can get a minute with her don't be getting in no running match with uh, Svitolina you need a 1-2 boom because Svitalina wants the rallies to keep going so she's got a shot she's got a 65-35% shot if she gets Serena in a long rally anything 4 and above my coll- colleague oh, over oh, here so, is not in his head. So Who, 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 who are you picking? I mean, that's so, so I've got good. I got Serena and I got Bencic because I like the experience of Bencic. I think that could be a tough three-setter there, but I think the teenager will finally just like come down to earth because she's kind of feisty and her gets into her own head. So I like Bencic beating the Canadian uh, Bianca, and of course I like Serena against Fitalina if she does my one-two and doesn't get into a rally with Vitalina.
0: Yeah, I mean that's tough. Tough to disagree with. I, I mean Serena's had such a good tournament so far she has she hasn't really been tested uh, McNally might have tested her a little bit went three sets um, I, but I'm still I still I'm still for some reason leaning to the field um, you know I could see her losing tonight I could see Bencic. I mean the way Benchich played has played since she played Osaka has been almost flawless so I'm, I'm worried about those two Serena has We've seen this year, we talked about it. She's gotten to the finals and then not played at the, that same level uh, when it got into, when it got to the finals. I don't know if it's, you know, pressure to win the 20, what is it, 23rd, 20, 24th. Um, so I'm, a, I'm rooting for Serena, but I'm kind of leaning towards the field.
5: All I know is what I read in the papers, and somebody once said, because I haven't been around a lot this year, but Chris Clary has a piece today after the match last night, about Svitolina, saying that she has the kind of game that can throw Serena off her, off her, uh, off her own game. That she has the kind of move you around, come in, dink it, whatever it is. And uh, I think Chris was, without making a prediction, he set me up to answer the question. says, I know Bill is going to say, get to it. <laughs> uh, why, why not? I'll, I'll say that uh, Serena will, will turn 38. Tonight. Oh, she's already 38.
3: Yeah. Well, I want to I bring up something. Again, I'm being un- uncomfortable here, making everyone uncomfortable. But think about the, the Djokovic shoulder thing. We saw Serena do that rollover on her ankle. And we saw her. She
4: played 44 minutes. I know.
3: But then we, we saw the back spasm problem. Okay? What happens when you get these injuries, I know because I've, I've gone through it as, as an athlete, is they don't show up for weeks later. The pain of it doesn't show up for weeks. And something like that could come back to haunt her tonight.
1: Well, you know, I, 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 I'm probably going to answer just like the sort of the typical fan. You know, for me, golf means Tiger Woods, tennis means the Williams sisters, and I know you Fidelina, blah blah blah, right? But you know, where are the Williams sisters, <laughs> I mean, you, know, you know, so I, I, I would like, I would like Serena to win. But again, this kind of gets back to the very beginning of the conversation about retirement. That's the great thing about this industry. Nobody, you either do it or you don't. It's like not your daddy or your mama's money or something like that. You either do it, so as much as I like Serena to win. She's either gonna do it. It's like Coco Golf. We all love the Coco Golf story, you know. But she, uh, what's it, uh, Naomi? But she just she said, she said enough, enough <laughs> of it. You know, I mean, I'll hug you afterwards. But right now, your ass is mine. You know, you know. So um, and by the way, anybody? I thought that was for me. That may have been the highlight. So far of this entire tournament, definitely. What what, what definitely. she did to the sportsmanship to me was just
3: made this tournament really quick. Oh, that guide. that was the hug of that the century. Sounded around, around the world. world, right?
4: That's the reason I said I thought the women's game was in good hands. It was that moment. I was like, these girls are mature. They know how to handle themselves on and off the court, and they're both young. I mean, we're talking twenty-one and fifteen. And I said, you know what, I feel good when Venus and Serena walks away because these kids are young, that the future of women's tennis. So that's what I thought about, that hug and that moment after that match, that the women's game is in good hands.
1: Yeah, I, I just The country needed that. I mean, just at that moment, we just needed, yeah, we, needed that. we needed that. And I'm sure to those, yeah, we just needed love, <laughs> <laughs> love, <laughs> love and sportsmanship. I'm sure maybe it you know, the White House may have shuddered at that. That's not what we need. We don't need love. We need need division.
3: You know, that was one of the things I said last year when I walked out of this facility. I said, you know, if our politicians could see what's happening here at this tennis center, to see the plethora of cultures and people, the families coming out to watch this game, And the participation and the love of the game and the love of each other. I mean, I have, you will go nowhere else in New York City and see the variety of people all together in a common activity. Well, can I can I veer
5: over into the political for a minute? Actually, the person we're talking about used to come here all the time. He had a box, and we could see him from the press section down, downstairs, and he would lean over the rail like Captain Ahab while the match was going on, but his head and his eyes never moved. He was posing. He might have been a body double. <laughs> the guy never watched the ball and he never watched the players. He was advertising himself. Now look where that got him. But on the other hand, do I think he ever if he had seen Osaka and 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 Coco. If he had seen it, he would have said, "Loser, grind her into the dust." Right. <laughs> and, he would
0: have read it. And, he would have read it all wrong. <laughs>
4: right. right. He would have taken that message and but, sent it somewhere else. But nothing know? personal.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I'd like to thank you. Oh, you guys are great. Uh, uh, Primrose Headley, great, great name. Primrose.
4: Thank you, sir. It's Primrose. a very English name oh, if you're yeah. in England. They have Primrose Lane, they have Primrose Circle, so it's a very English name. Thank you. Thank you, Bill, for having me. I've been a big fan for many years, so thank you so much. What
1: we're going to do is just a segment on that. No, just kidding. Uh, Dwight Kashmir, my homeboy from Chicago. Thank you very much
3: pleasure uh, to be here, Bill, and yeah. to be
1: with you. Uh, it's great. The, the great
3: <laughs> Bob you brought Green? back some great memories from the old days on the south side of Chicago. Oh, man,
1: we told some war stories there. Well, that, that's going to be another, <laughs> that, that's another that, that's show. That's another, another show. show. <laughs> <laughs> war stories from Chicago. <laughs> uh, of course, the great Bob Green it has been wonderful over the years, Bob, uh, just talking to you and, you know, you just sort of being there like a rock, just steady, you know, so it's been great. <laughs> Sorry, that this will be your last, but it seems like you're gonna have lots, lots of fun. Just oh, drinking yes. the wine and in Maine and eating Maine lobster, and uh, of course, you know Jamal will be at this again. And uh, Aaron matthewson has been patiently waiting. You know, Melo, She she celebrated her birthday yesterday, so oh, it's, she kind of mellow, you know, it out. And uh, you know, and George again, great, great George Vesey, long uh, man. You know, just a great colleague. We were, how long were you at the Times, George? Uh,
5: 43 years. 43, 43 years. 43 years. Jesus Christ. The kids kids like Bill Roden came
1: along and I said, I know. <laughs> I know. I, well, I say something like, I was there for 34, he said, Son, you haven't even started <laughs> scratching the surface yet. <laughs> no, but George has always been just a great, great colleague. What you see here is how he's always willing to you know, perspective and just gentlemen and that kind of stuff. So just great. Uh, who else? So anyway, thanks, everybody. It's been great. And, uh, you know, enjoy the match. Um, and, uh, you know, see you guys uh, wherever, hither and yon. Next, we're going to start hitting. I'm going out to um, Los Angeles. I'm going I'm to be at the, uh, the uh, um, San Diego Chargers. Uh, at um, San Diego Chargers hosting Indianapolis well, now the,
0: the L.A. Chargers. The L.A. Chargers.
1: Easy to forget. Shit. It, <laughs> were you ever a sports writer? Yeah. <laughs> but no, uh, I'm excited about that game because we talked about Andrew Luck. So this is Jacoby Brissett's big chance. You know, and I'm listening to everybody talk about this game, and they're almost as if it's just, you know, it's just taken for granted that this guy's a stiff. Who are we going to get to? So I just hope that, that Jacoby Brissett this is his moment.
0: Right. This is his moment. He's played. he's <laughs> played well in spot duty in the right. past. Yeah, well,
1: we'll see. Anyway, thank you guys. It's been great. God bless. And, uh, you know, have a great fall.